Victory on and off the battlefield depends on having accurate and timely intelligence about our enemy's intentions, strengths, and weaknesses. Combining this with a variety of other pertinent information aids in making command decisions and operational strategies. Collected from multiple sources, this highly sensitive information must be evaluated and processed in order to make command recommendations to determine combat, undercover, targeting, and other critical missions. To assess, analyze, and distribute this collection of highly sensitive and classified information is the responsibility of the intelligence analyst. Covert Contact from Blogs of War, where each week your host John Little takes a deep dive into the national security, intelligence, and technology stories that are shaping our world. Okay, welcome to Covert Contact, episode 98. I am your host, John Little. Uh, that clip you heard at the Top of the show was a U.S. Army recruiting video for an intelligence analyst role. Someone who knows a little bit about that is with me today, uh, Dean Barada, who you are uh, no doubt familiar with if you listened to this podcast before. Dean, welcome back to Covert Contact. Thanks very much, John. Uh, that was uh, that clip brought back memories. That might have been the one that actually recruited me. <laughs> Uh, you know, that was a uh, sort of a very military and, and, uh, defense focused, um, uh, description of an intelligence analyst role, but it's really not that far off from, um, a general description of the profession and one that is increasingly found in, uh, the private sector. And, um, you and I, um, both deal, uh, with, with, um, you know, with those kinds of issues and are in very similar positions uh, in, in sort of building intelligence capabilities and um, uh, shaping analysis, delivering analysis to, you know, the private sector and private sector customers in uh, an environment that is easily more dynamic, I think, than it's ever ever been for folks in the private sector. And so lots of companies and organizations and executives are looking at the world and feeling uh, very insecure, very threatened. Their products might be threatened. Their people might be threatened. Um, and uh, they're struggling with how to adapt to that. And that's something you and I deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, as we've been talking about this before is, and, and I've been thinking about my career and training and all that. And it was, it was years after I was um, already an analyst before there was really, um, I was really introduced in any serious way to the concept of sort of audience analysis and making sure that the product we were producing was um, likely to, you know, going to be received um, by the customer um, you know, in a positive way. And I don't, I don't actually mean in terms of the content of the analysis, but rather the format, make sure the product matches the customer, that it's going to be something that's going to be easy for them to absorb 
um, make a decision on and um, and sort of feedback through that that intel cycle. Um, and and as as private sector is increasingly sort of uh, knowing they they need some sort of an intelligence function, some sort of an analytic function, um, that is only more and more because now we're oftentimes dealing with customers who don't have um, a deep history with intelligence and how it's used and what expectations to have about it. Yeah, and these these challenges are you know they're front and center in the private sector right now i think and 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 growing but they really apply to the field generally right mm-hmm. because even you know you think about something like a product like the president's daily briefing every president consumes that differently and there's yeah. no there's no guarantee that uh that they're going to be engaged that they're going to be uh interested uh and uh the product has to be reshaped for each you know each incoming president so uh this is this is a a problem that generally applies right yeah and there's been some there's really been some amazing uh reporting done about how specifically the the um uh president's daily brief how how the authors and presenters of that have been working to um, uh, adjust that um, for the current administration. Um, but that has also led uh, to discussions about historically how different presidents have sort of, you know, um, interacted with that. But it's not just at the presidential level. You know, for every crime analyst in a small PD somewhere, um, they are going to have some of the same issues of, you know, when they have a new police chief, a new um, CEO, if you're in the private sector, uh, a new director, if you're, you know, in some sort of a, a homeland security um, agency, um, the same sort of general questions apply, right? How does my customer absorb information? How do they um, react to information that may be contrary to their um, their pre-existing beliefs? Um, uh, and thinking about how to tailor those products so that the analyst can um, either become or maintain credible and relevant. Uh, so I, I think about um, when I was sort of a younger analyst, uh, and, and I think this is common with a lot of analysts, you do feel very close to your portfolio yeah. and you, right. And you feel passionate about it, hopefully. Um, and so it's a natural inclination to think, well, I need to tell I need to tell John everything about this topic, right? I need to tell him everything about how Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula gets their Toyota Hilux vehicles, right? Because that's the most important thing. Um, and you, as a senior decision maker, may not care too much about that, right? Um, and you may not be interested in that fifty-page white paper on that topic. So it's a matter of sort of the analysts really being able to determine um, not just what the customer wants to know, but what do they need to know? What do they have to know? And um, adjusting their products uh, appropriately. Yeah, you can never be attached to your product. I mean, I'm always looking for a way to kill and and reformulate my product because that's that means that I'm listening to, to my customers, right? Uh, if, they are, if they are telling you that something's um, 
you know, not landing right, or if they don't seem to really be engaged or know how to, how to process what you're giving them, mm-hmm. um, you have to be willing to just constantly go back to the drawing board there. You know, there's a million ways to slice every one of these problems. Uh, yeah. And ultimately the only one that really matters um, is the one that works and has an impact yep. and translates into, you know, into, into action. And um, very often that is not in a format that is uh, necessarily the one that the analyst is most comfortable with. Yeah, I, I went through, I remember I went through uh, a several year period where um, I had convinced myself that I was some sort of artiste and, uh, <laughs> um, and you know, I would say, you know, what, if, if my customers, if they don't want to read my product, um, that's on them. It's their fault, right? That, that they aren't engaging with my product because my product is perfect. Um, it tells them everything. It has all the context. Um, and I wrote... Um, products that I, I basically wrote products for me, right? Products that I wanted to read. They were long, they were detailed, they had all this context, um, and they were completely irrelevant because nobody wanted to sit down with a 50-page um, product when what they really wanted, and they would tell me over and over again, I need something, you know, one or two pages. And I would be like, no, I'm, uh, that's for lesser beings, right? I'm, <laughs> I, I only deal with, you know, uh, you know, the, the information from the gods and, and whatever. Um, and eventually I don't remember what the catalyst was. Eventually I, was, I you know, I just hit the point where I was, I was tired of writing for myself. You know, I wanted to actually have an impact. And, um, once I began, once I sort of swallowed my pride and my ego and began writing for the customer instead of for myself, um, things miraculously changed. Um, uh, I had a seat at the table. Um, my analysis was actually influencing policy, and that was really good. It wasn't changing necessarily my analysis, right? Um, I wasn't telling people necessarily what they wanted to hear, but um, I was at least telling them in a way that they could interact with. Right. Um, and we'll probably say some some version of that fifty times in this in this talk. But that was it, it's it's not it doesn't. When I say it, it doesn't sound like a, a true eureka moment, but it was really a eureka moment to um, all of a sudden see people not just interact with your product, but want to interact with that product and ask for more um, after years of trying to force people to interact with, you know, with my product on my terms. You know, I, I've had sort of the flip side of that, um, an issue, um, uh, the flip side of that issue uh, in my current role, and that is uh, it took me a little while to dial the pro- primary product in. Uh, but then there was extremely positive uptake. But following following up on that with customers and sort of relentlessly pressuring them to tell us how it was actually put to work um, revealed um, – more gaps than I was comfortable with. And so it, we, we were in a zone, I call it intelligence porn, uh, <laughs> where everybody wants your product and they enjoy it, yep. but it, it doesn't necessarily result in anything, um, you know, in the impact that you want. And that's, that's yep. equally dangerous, right? Because, um, 
you know, you're there, you're, you're there to have an impact. You're there to change something. You're either change your company's posture or the decision-making of, of the organization, you know, to improve lives for their customers, something you're, you're, you're there for a reason. And, um, if people are just constantly consuming your product and patting you on the back for it, but not doing anything, um, it's, it's just as wasteful an effort as, uh, writing something that somebody doesn't read. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that is almost deserves its own sort of topic is the point at which you, um, either as an individual analyst or, or as the head of a shop need to think, um, is our analysis just sort of reinforcing pre-existing beliefs? Um, is it only sort of doing safe, safe analysis? Um, are we just regurgitating conventional wisdom? Um, uh, do we need to push ourselves a little more, um, you know, analytically? And that's, um, that's, uh, you know, a whole extra topic. I think we could, we could dive into about trying to figure out if that's happening um, if it is, to begin to address it, um, you know, or um, if um, you're just so on the ball that, um, uh, you know, that, I don't even know what I want to say there. You're so on the ball that um, that it's just, it's, your products are hitting that sweet spot. Um, so, yeah, could talk about that sort of all day as well. Yeah, well, the feedback that I got is, you know, um, the way that I I structured our primary product was there was a there was a written piece that contextualized the problem, and then there was a there was a data component as well, um, mm-hmm. and the data building the data component took about thirty percent of our time and. The, the contextualization and boiling this down so that it was widely consumable by executives. That part took about 70% of our time. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of effort, you know, to do that well, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, really complex or, you know, in the world we're in today, uh, like completely insane topics that have to be connected to not so uh, crazy, um, you know, real world problems. Um, and relentlessly going back to customers and, and asking them, how are you putting this to work? And, you know, they would say, we love it. We love it. We, every time your report lands, it's the first thing I read. Um, you know, I'm learning new things every time. Okay, so what are you doing with it? Well, yep. um, not much at the moment because we're not sure how that fits with policy or, um, you know, uh, we don't really have, uh, you know, resources to go like follow up on it. And uh, there's all these reasons, but they love the product, but then they would say, but we do take the data piece and we do X with it. And so that's, you know, over and over and over again, like the data piece was getting used. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, uh, here, here I am again, um, I think for my fourth time in two years, going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, how do we, how do we reverse that 70, 30 split? How do we, uh, how do we deliver much more data, uh, much more robust data, uh, and spend 70% of our effort on that and make it, you know, 90% of our product. And then, um, 
minimize the contextualization piece. So we give them just enough to understand uh, what we're talking about, um, but we're not pouring our effort into something that doesn't translate into impact. And I think I think that spirit of um, innovation and experimentation is really important, right? When you're an analyst, yes. uh, it, it's okay to try a new product type, a new product format, um, and expect that more than half the time it won't go over, right? It, you know, um, and, and I think I think every analyst has had this happen where they put together a product, submitted it, and yeah, it's fine, um, but you know, <laughs> it doesn't really do anything for me either. The timing is slightly off. Um, it's not really answering the question that's burning at the forefront of my head right now. Um, and it, it's okay. It goes sort of in the archive, but it right. doesn't move mountains. That's, that's okay too. Um, because, um, if you're doing this sort of constant self-evaluation and feedback, that's just more sort of data points for you to begin to sort of triangulate into, um, that spot that your customer's going to want. And so I know, um, I've done this with sort of all of my customers, but, but just recently, a couple months ago, um, I would even pitch products, right? Hey, uh, you know, I see this, I see where you're going in terms of, in terms of concerns that the organization has. Um, I see this as a potential threat or, um, you know, concern for us down the road. Would you like a product about X? Yes. And sometimes <laughs> they'll say yes. And, and it's fine. Sometimes they'll go, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really that concerned. I'm not as concerned about that. Um, don't really want it right now that's fine. Or, or what I prefer even better is um, where I've gotten questions back that said, how do you foresee us? How do you foresee that impacting? What decisions do you see that impacting? Yes. How do you foresee me using that product? That's great too. That indicates to me that the customer is thinking um, is a thinking a little more deeply about my proposal, but also it's good. Um, if you have a decision maker like that, who may not be super familiar with the animal world and they may be going, okay, you're recommending this. I don't really understand what your expectation is of me, how you are, are think this is a good idea that I'll interact with it. You know, tell me, help me along that path. Um, and that's really good, right? If you have a decision maker who's, um, who's sort of asking not just for the product, but education on how to use products like that, that's super helpful. Yeah, no, yeah, that that's something that um, in my current role, I've, um, um, again, there was that recognition that they needed this, they needed something along these lines that they had gaps and, um, but they had never really approached um, or hired, approached a problem from the perspective that, that I deal in and they've ne never really hired someone like me uh, to do it. Um, and so they didn't know what they were going to get. They just sort of knew that they probably needed it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't know how, how you know, the findings would be uh, operationalized or anything. I mean, there was a gen very general framework. And it took about, it actually took, um, took me longer than I had, I had expected. It took about three months Um for me to begin to dial it in and have an impact where I, you know, I got that first executive level response where somebody said, this is exactly what 
I need. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the challenges was coming in and um, they had tried to stand something up without just sort of using some volunteers and resources that were cobbled together that didn't really have a background in this. And they were smart people and, and, you know, they put together a program and it wasn't dialed in, you know, um, the way it needed to be, but they were doing the best they can. And it took me a long time to sort of um, get in reverse engineer what had been done and what, how it was being received and, sort of realized I woke up, um, I woke up one morning and just, you know, the light bulb went off and it's like, Oh, okay. Um, I have to start from scratch. Uh, (laughs) um, they, they had built a lot of process, a lot of documentation, a lot of stuff based on sort of what they thought they would need, but no real knowledge about how to get there. And have you encountered that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a couple of our, our, our old, um, or older uh, recordings sort of talk specifically about that, but, but absolutely. And I think um, it, it isn't really apparent when you, if you're not someplace where they explicitly say we need to build, we have nothing now we need to build it. Right. So if you're in the DOD or you're in the, somewhere in the IC or, or in any sort of organization that has had a component for a long time, I think it's really easy to sort of take the existing structure for granted. Yep. And um, that I think can actually be a disservice to a lot of analysts. It can, it can be helpful initially because, okay, we have a standardized process. We have standardized products. We might have style guides. We have regular reporting chains, right? Like all of that you can kind of take as given, but what that does is it kind of prevents the individual analysts from doing an analysis of their own organization. And, and once, right, you know, as soon as possible after the analyst sort of, you know, gets their feet under them, you know, when they're, when they're new to an organization, I really recommend they take some time and do just as thorough an analysis of their organization as they would for a terrorist group that might be in their portfolio, you know, or an adversarial nation state, whatever it is that's in their portfolio. Yeah. Can can I, can I just, Oh, go ahead. That's, that's such a good point. And I want to, I want to add something to that, which is, you know, as you're interviewing for the role, if you're, if they're bringing you in in sort of this context of, of, you know, you're going to be a decision, you know, a, a person who can actually shape the product. Um, or they're telling you that we know that we need this and we need you to build it from the ground up, negotiate that before you take the role. Because if your, your, yep. your customer may not understand that, uh, and very often they don't, uh, they don't realize that you need to look inwardly and, and, and really understand uh, the customer before you can shape the product in a way that will have impact. And so one of the things I've learned over the years, and I did it with this role, is to set that expectation um, uh, that you're going to do that. The first thing that, you you know, you might you know, hit the ground running and produce some, um, you know, some uh, uh, some products in a, in a format that they uh, think that they want, but let them know up, up front that, you know, you're going to need time and you're going to need access the customers and the decision makers um, that will that will put the product to work, and you're going to have to do that work. Yeah, and and certainly if you're a supervisor in such an organization, there are um, there are lots of opportunities 
to get your junior folks, not even junior folks, get all of your folks um, accustomed to thinking about how they should constantly be doing sort of that organizational analysis, right? Yeah, it doesn't stop. Um, it doesn't stop at all, right? No. But, you know, I, I think about, um, for me, and, and, you know, the beauty of it is almost all of these things are, are no cost, right? They, they cost maybe a little bit of time and a little bit of effort um, from the supervisor to sort of run the discussions a little bit. But um, we would take advantage when we would have um, senior people do all-hands meetings, which are sort of among the best, for me, opportunities um, to do some of that analysis. Um, as soon as those are over, get the group together. Okay, hey, what did that decision maker talk about? What do you think they emphasize? What is the, on the top of their priority list? What don't they care about? Um, how do they talk about these issues? Um, do they talk about it like it's a sense of urgency? Um, do they express any areas of uncertainty or concern, right? And that should feed into how we talk about products, um, what we propose to them, um, and give you some insight. Because um, I'm also a big fan of going directly to the decision maker, right, and, and speaking to yes. them. But, but like you said, Sometimes they aren't even sure of what they don't know or what they should, what they need to know. Yeah. And I was just, um, I was going to so yeah, add as, as you're getting that feedback, right. Um, mm -hmm. So you should be, you should, because I think this is more common than not. Um, you should really be on guard for customers who can't give you quality feedback. If they can't, if they're not yeah. giving you quality feedback, then you know, you have sort of this foundational problem that you know you have to edu of of customer education right that you have to start there yeah you're going to have to lead the way you're going to have to do the best you can to understand the problem and shape the product and then have an even more intense cycle of checking with the customer as you innovate yeah and and um again just like evaluating any other sort of intelligence that you get any other sort of information you get um, you want to have sort of multiple multiple information sources, right? So you can corroborate them. So um, sometimes, um, many times, wholly innocently, uh, people know the right things to say. So when you say, "Hey, what what are your what are your concerns to your decision maker?" and if they say, "Oh, you know, people first. Um, but then in their all hands communications or in um, some other forms of communications or in decisions. Um, uh, they throw people at machine gun nests, um, you know, uh, all the time, you know, Hey, maybe people first isn't really, you know, their motto. Uh, and, but if on the other hand, um, at the beginning of every all hands meeting, uh, they are emphasizing new ways to take care of, of, um, of soldiers or employees or whatever. Um, and they are instituting policies all the time, um, that are, um, designed to sort of um, help their people. Well, now I have corroboration. They say it, they're actually doing it, or they're saying it across multiple platforms and in front of multiple audiences. They're actually doing stuff. Okay, we think this is a tightly held um, conviction of theirs. Um, so maybe one of our priorities is looking for threats that might, you know, um, jeopardize the safety and health of subordinate employees, soldiers, whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things that I've, it's actually been sort of, 
uh, on my uh, um, on my radar um, lately is looking at um, sort of the different kinds of intelligence that we have in our organization um, and the different ways that it's uh, consumed um, and the need to sort of educate uh, our top brass on um, sort of understanding that at, at their level. And, you know, we're, we're trying to aggregate as much of that and, and, and give, you know, like, let's just say, let's just think about an executive generally. Uh, they have a lot of different needs. And some of these, some of these are like corporate threats, right? Which is, is fairly standard and fairly well understood. Some of it is, um, you know, sort of, um, product impact, um, you know, threats against people and product. Some of it is um, how the world is changing um, and from a regulatory perspective and how that might impact them. Uh, some, you know, sort of closer to like business intelligence in some cases. And then there's like a, the geopolitical slice and, you know, how do we orient people and product to sort of address all of that stuff and get it to a customer in a way that, that makes sense to do that effectively requires a much deeper understanding of intelligence as um, a profession and a product and a process mm -hmm. on the customer side. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I think one of the challenges that I have ahead of me is like, how do you, how do you get as many people in, um, aligned on that understanding as possible so that, uh, you know, everybody that's engaged in this across the organization is effective and you kind of have to start with uh, the person who's, you know, the chief um, consumer of that, the highest level consumer of that, so that, um, you know, they'll, they'll allow you to, like, have the bandwidth and, and devote the energy to, like, uh, putting all that together in a way that makes sense. And you need, you know, uh, you don't necessarily need your, um, that, that executive to be, uh, a Rhodes Scholar on the intelligence process, yeah. right? Um, uh, and it, thank goodness, because like you're almost never going to get that. Yeah. Uh, but you, you know, having um, it's, it's you know having an executive who is intellectually curious and um, at least open to some of those initial discussions is a huge first step. Um, there are I I'm sure I'm not alone. I've been in organizations where um, intelligence is a second or third or fourth tier priority for the executives. And so basically, as long as you're not um, uh, the cause of some sort of bad press or a congressional inquiry, like they really just don't care. Um, and then it can be much more difficult, um, a much more difficult struggle uh, to be relevant to those decision makers. Um, and you they know, don't, I, they I don't struggled. care until they really care. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think about, um, I, and I think about one case in particular, this was years ago where, um, I was in an organization, uh, I was part of an, this organization had its own organic Intel analysis capability. And yet our senior decision maker, um, almost n never came to us and instead would go to outside agencies. Um, and, 
we experimented with different sort of product types and different suggestions and just nothing was working. Like nothing was resonating at all. And eventually um, we just had a face-to-face meeting um, and we asked them point blank, like when something happens, uh, you know, what, what would you want to see from us that would um, make us the first person you call as opposed to agency X or agency Y? Um, and in that case, honestly, we just, we did not get a satisfactory answer. The answer was, oh no, I love you guys, but, um, <laughs> I'm always going to go to these agencies. Yeah, right. Thanks. So, uh, you know, what we did at that point, I think we had about a year under that, um, that executive for, um, um, in that sort of environment is, um, we kind of resigned to, Hey, we're probably not, this is the, it wasn't a hostile environment, but um, we're gonna have, we're in an indifferent environment here. So let's um, let's focus on fundamentals. Let's focus on our skills. Um, and when a new executive comes in, let's be ready um, to show them with sort of all our capabilities. Right? We we just sort of focus more internally. Um, we did everything you know that we sort of were required to do, but at that point we realized it was not. Um, likely that we were going to get um, that seat at the table. Yeah, that's a uh, really good. So, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, uh, the, and and I, I just want to add one more yeah. thought in there before I forget is that time, um, you know, if you want to call it sort of our, our year in the wilderness or our two years in the wilderness, that time was super helpful because the next executive we had was very plugged into intelligence. And being able to very quickly say, ah, you have expectations. Um, here you go. We can start funneling you um, products and information very, very quickly and begin uh, instituting reforms very quickly because that whole time we spent in the wilderness, I can't tell you how many discussions we had almost daily, uh, if not daily, about how would we fix things? You know, if we were given... Um, a chance. What would be the first things we would we would change? How would we improve our products? How would we improve our information gathering? And so, when that opportunity struck, we had a whole year's worth of ideas, initiatives, proposals, sort of already war gamed out, and we're ready to sort of institute them. And so, it's very easy. I'm sorry for going on so long, but it's very easy in those periods where you feel like you're in the wilderness. Um, to sort of give up, right, and sort of retreat and go sort of um, wallow in despair. But um, those, you should look at those time periods as just as much of an opportunity as when you're given free reign and and sort of the keys to the kingdom. No, that's uh, that's a, a a really good point because what that can give you, and there's a there's a balance here, right? Because as a professional, um, I would say that the most time that you should devote to um, maybe a, a, an issue like that is like two years of your career, because otherwise you're, you run the risk of, you know, um, becoming irrelevant and having your skills degrade and all of that. But if one of the, one of the benefits of that is it, it if, if you're not top of mind um, and, and, they're ignoring you or uh, certainly not putting immense pressure on you. Uh, use that time, uh, use that bandwidth. That bandwidth could be a gift. Like you said, refine your product, refine yep. your skills, 
refine your strategies, um, and, um, you know, look for an opportunity to become relevant, surprise them, um, and, uh, or wait it out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, certainly in the government, um, you know, that that's a strategy that probably, uh, uh, works more is relevant more often than not, but certainly applies right. in the corporate world. And um, you know, depending on where you are, you may not have to wait very long. Um, the the you know the other side to that is, um, you know, you may have it all figured out, um, and you may get it dialed in, and you may have hit that sweet spot with a customer. And then leadership changes, and suddenly your product is irrelevant. Yep, yep. And um, likewise, you may have it all figured out in while you're working in Department of Defense, for example, um, and you move to the private sector, um, and you do not have it all figured out, right? <laughs> so there's um, uh, in, in the a lot of the sort of fundamental skills may translate. But um, how they translate can be very different. And so, you know, one of the things that I think one of the stumbling blocks for, for retired or former military and law enforcement when they move to private sector is um, for companies that are just sort of expanding into the intelligence field, um, they um, don't, they aren't acclimatized. Um, to the military or law enforcement sphere. And so uh, if you start coming in um, with not just a lot of jargon, but sort of a military approach, let's say military mindset, um, that can just as easily as, you know, scare off executives um, and sort of shut them down and not want to hear a message as um, as impress them. Uh, and in fact, I think it, it's probably more likely to sort of scare them off, Right. Uh, and so that creates all new um, opportunities to think about messaging. Um, do I want to come in um, with the buzz cut haircut, you know, yelling um, with the uh, GI Joe karate chop, uh, you know, motions all the time? Uh, that may not go over real well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the other challenge there, um, and. Um, I've, you know, I work with a lot of folks that came out of the government side of things um, and have a lot of experience there, is that uh, they may not be um, as prepared or as comfortable with the need to sort of question all of the process um, and the product and, um, you know, have that sort of... um, you know, high degree of flexibility that you need to uh, make things land in the private sector. Um, you know, you having made that transition yourself, is that something that you sort of identify with or do you, you see that sort of uh, stumbling block with folks who have spent their entire career or a long period, um, you know, on the government side of things? I've certainly, I've certainly seen it. Um, yeah. I don't, uh, you know, I consider um, I spent, a few years right after I got my university degree, um, I spent a few years in retail banking. And that time where you had to be customer service focused with, to all sorts of customers, right? right. Um, I still draw on that quite a bit, right? And, and for most of us, almost all of us in the Intel field, Intel is a support function. 
it's our job to help other people do their jobs, right? Um, and, you know, in this case, what we're talking about here is executives to make better decisions. Um, and so if we aren't doing that, if we're having that, that mindset that, you know, you have, to, you have to engage with our product on our terms um, and you have to absorb it our way, um, that's, that's not customer service oriented at all, right? Um, and so I have seen some folks struggle with that. And sometimes that's in big ways. Sometimes that's in little ways. If you think about it, in military and law enforcement, oftentimes it's not unusual to have pretty dark humor, you're right? A lot of gallows humor <laughs> yeah. um, that can fit in kind of any time. That doesn't always fly when you're um, talking to people who have little to no experience in that profession, right? Um, and so that might not be the time to crack, you know, make that ISIS joke, right? Um, and so... Uh, I think some people struggle a little bit with that. Um, just, just sort of the, the cultural sensitivities. Um, and, uh, it can be easy to dismiss those, right? I mean, the stereotypical, uh, uh, diverse, you know, um, uh, dismissive content, uh, a comment is, oh, those are snowflakes, but that's not true. Um, it's just, it's a different culture. And so, um, they just aren't, as they aren't as, uh, they're not as wounded and cynical and, uh, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, We've been through the ringer. Everybody has their, everybody has their soft spots. Um, I could, uh, easily go into, um, military and law enforcement communities, make an offhand comment that is, does not go over well at all. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, we're all sensitive about our own things. Um, but this is where part of the organizational analysis that Intel folks need to do is understand how, you know, what is going to turn off my customer, um, you know, and, and what is going to connect with them better. Because a big part of your, you can write the best intelligence analysis um, ever, but if you don't have credibility in your organization, um, it's going to fall on deaf ears, right? And one of the ways you build credibility is through empathy and your customer, whether it's an executive or it's rank and file people need to uh, understand that we agree um, that, you know, for example, your safety is paramount, right? That's my number one concern. And so um, if that means we need to change our language and how we talk about safety and, and, and um, how we interact with, with folks, is important to building that credibility, then that needs, that's part of our job, right? right? We can't afford to say, um, you know, particularly in the private sector, um, intelligence security, that's a cost center, right? We almost never make money for, for our employers and our executives. Or, um, or we cost, and, I mean, we actually, you know, we actually right. cost the money. We, we, we cause them to divert business or, change course in a way that, you know, fundamentally impacts revenue in a negative fashion um, for the greater right, good, exactly. right? Yep. So we, but we don't want to, you know, if, if you're making it easier and easier, if you're eroding your credibility, you're just making it easier and easier for somebody to go, why do we need these folks? Right. They, um, whatever, we don't have, we don't believe they have the same values we do. Um, and they certainly aren't acting like it. And they're, they want to make 
um, our whole organization revolves around them, uh, maybe we don't want this. Maybe we don't need this, right? So um, that's important, understanding that organizational culture and standards and expectations and being able to sort of provide high-quality intelligence um, within those parameters. That's what we should be doing, right? One of of the most important things that you can understand and really anywhere, any position, but definitely in in the private sector is, you know, look at your role and, and getting back to your point, do I make money for the company or do I, am I a cost center? Do I cost them money? And if you, right. if you cost them money and you don't make them money, or if you even have to make the case that you make them money, right? If that's not evident, uh, Anytime you have to make the case that you're valuable, then you're on the cost side, right? Um, uh, And and really deeply appreciating how much that puts you at risk, no matter what your customer says, and how that can change on a dime. It can change with the economy. It can change with leadership, on and on and on. Um, Understanding, realizing that, and... And uh, realizing that every day, if you're on the cost side, that you're trying to work yourself out of a hole, um, it will will serve you well. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far the other way. Where um, certainly um, that does not mean that you should compromise nope. <laughs> your um, analytic integrity, right, or your right. standards, right? No, 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 none of that. Um, but it does mean that there are, it means there are still tons of opportunities with which to build credibility and build trust within the organization and demonstrate your value. Even if you have to go to your executives and say, I know this is a, you know, this is um, your a decision you, you value highly, or this is a, a way you want to go. Um, I need to lay out some, some risks here um, and some threats that are involved with that. Right. And being able to do that. And I think, um, that is, um, that is important to do. Uh, a previous, I remember once, um, uh, not my current, um, position, but in this one, um, somebody in my team showed up at a meeting, um, and the first thing, uh, uh, senior executive said was, oh, here's security to tell us why we can't do something. <laughs> right. And right. that was, that was already locked in to their mindset. That's not a good way to start, um, a relationship. No in your organization. Right. So, um, it, you know, um, we oftentimes see ourselves as sort of, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse telling you, you know, everything that's going to, that's going wrong, will go wrong, can go wrong. Um, and why we shouldn't do anything. Um, and yet sometimes our job as well, um, is, um, why things are not terrible and, perhaps helping them, the executive, find opportunities within sort of a challenging landscape. Absolutely. And one of maybe the last thing we can touch on here is, um, which, I mean, I think it would be evident from the conversation, but um, the importance of listening and um, um, uh, especially when when a customer communicates to you that something is a problem for them uh, or it's a concern for them and not yep. forcing that through uh, your own lens and your bias and your assessment of 
risk and problems. Uh, very often, those are not in alignment between analysts and decision makers, because we are, yep. you know, again, we are deeply aware of where risk lies and what problems are, and we tend to be ahead of, uh, and, you know, and our job is in many ways uh, to be ahead of everyone else and understanding that. And so those are not always in alignment, and especially at the beginning of the relationship before you've established trust. Yep before your value is deeply appreciated, um, you, you, you have to really deeply listen to the customer and then deliver on, on that, regardless of sort of what you think about it. And you can shape from there, there on. And just, have you had experience with, with sort of building that initial um, part of the relationship and, and trying to cope with that alignment? Yeah, and, and there's a couple of things I could highly recommend to anyone who, um, whether you're an analyst on your own or you're running a shop, that I'd recommend sort of across the board to to address that. Um, first is t- talk to them, right? Yeah. I mean, um, try to schedule you know half an hour a time to sit down with that um, senior executive or as many of those executives or their executive assistants as possible. Um, and talk to them. Hey, what are what are their what's your primary what's your big concern? What's your big um, you know worry? Where do you see going in the next six to twelve months? Right. Um, but also ask some of the nuts and bolts questions. How do you like getting information? Um, how would you like if if um, if there's a serious conversation to had or bad news? Um, how do you like to you know how would you like to receive that? Um, that is invaluable, and I would encourage you. Um, to not only do that if you're running a shop to do it yourself, but get your junior folks to do that. Get your executives used to seeing and talking to your junior folks and get your junior folks used to interacting with senior executives because inevitably you are going to be on vacation or you're going to be somewhere else and somebody's going to need to talk to Intel. And it might be that 22-year-old who just got out of university six months ago and they may be the person who has to go. So if you get them used to it, um, in regular times, they're going to operate a little better under stressful times. Um, second is not every organization has this, but whether you're in government or in um, private sector, I worked for a, uh, uh, a senior executive, and he instituted a program called Shadow a Senior Leader for a Day. Amazing. Um, uh, basically, it's just like it sounds. Uh, had a junior person follow that senior executive all day, went to every meeting, um, was involved in essentially every conversation, you know, ones that did not, um, if ones were particularly sensitive, they would um, sit out of those. But it didn't have to do with Intel, didn't always have to do with security, but giving that person insight to everything that that senior executive had to deal with on a daily basis, right? All the different topics, all the different questions. What sort of questions did they ask in meetings? and then in between meetings, being able to take those 5, 10, 15 minutes to interact directly and have that executive go, um, you know, did you see that dynamic there? Or what questions do you have about that meeting? Um, that gave amazing insight into priorities, decision-making um, uh, processes of that executive really, really helped. Um, and so we did that, tried to have our analysts do that annually, once a year, um, at least. And that was super helpful. And then the third, I I mentioned this a little bit before, but um, this is a super one to do. 
after your after your senior executives have some sort of communication with the staff, whether it's an all hands or even a, a, a mass email that goes out, huddle up with your folks and take five or 10 minutes and just say like, okay, what can we distill from this message? What does this tell us about them? Does this indicate a change of senior leadership and priorities or in, um, you know, an emphasis? What, you know, is there anything that, uh, that applies with, to what we're doing specifically? Um, and even if it doesn't, taking those, carving out a few moments for you, you individually or you and your team to sort of talk through that primes everyone to look at communications that come from executives in that new way, right? Well, I'm not, I'm just not absorbing on a superficial level, but I'm trying to sort of do a little deeper analysis. And it's exactly what you would do. Um, maybe I shouldn't make this uh, parallel, but I will. Um, hey, if you see terrorist propaganda come out or, or uh, Qaeda releases a message, yes, you're going to sort of do a superficial read of it. What do they say on the pages? But you're also going to say, what does this mean for, the, for that organization? What inference can I make? You're going to do the same thing for your organization. Um, that doesn't mean your organization is a terrorist organization, but you're, you're still looking for that extra insight, right? And that all feeds into the products that you're going to do and how you're going to deliver them. And it never stops, right? <laughs> like everything we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, this this um, constant calibration, uh, the hard you know questions you ask yourself, your customers, uh, the critical eye that you cast in your own product, like it it literally never changes. Yeah, I, I had a mentor years and years ago when I was in government service who would encourage me to do even deeper analysis than that, and and actually do um, some networking analysis about well. Um, this person and this person in the organization, did they go to the same police academy class? Um, uh, do they live close together? So are they likely sort of neighbors and sort of um, engaged socially? Um, that might tell you um, if you're looking at sort of relationships um, within an organization and how they interact and sort of intra-service um, cooperation or rivalry. That may give you some additional insight, right? Again, those skills... Um, you're going to apply those to your portfolio just as well as you will to your um, organization, but it also gives you insight into decision-making and um, uh, yeah, within your own organization and sort of um, makes things a little, a little clearer, hopefully. You know, that's, that's brilliant. And that, that would actually, uh, you know, I'm thinking about as you and I do running, running shops and teams of collectors and analysts and, and actually, you know, if you, if you're, ever have the bandwidth uh, or it's probably even essential to find the bandwidth, I, you know, actually pull the entire team together and generate a product that is uh, not necessarily you're going to distribute for your own internal use. That is an assessment of your organization, you know, yeah. apply all the same skills that you would to studying a terrorist organization or some bad actors, some group and, and, look at it from the perspective of how does the organization work? Who has influence? Who's important? And how do they consume and view product? You, you have to, you have to put some parameters around that. You can't do anything inappropriate, but that, that would be a really valuable exercise. Yeah. No. And, and again, like this is not designed. Um, it doesn't have the same purpose as doing it for sort of threat actors, right? This is, 
the purpose behind this is to it's to get um, your team to think more. about this, right? Yes, yes. Um, and um, if you can get in that mindset, I would I would suggest that it's really it can be really exciting, right? Um, and um, as a sort of team leader, leader, um, when you begin sort of dissecting a message from the from the uh, director or the CEO and going like, hey, when she said this. Um, that directly relates to our mission. So, you know, remember when, you know, yes, whatever, they're talking about annual sales or they're talking about, you know, grants from the federal government, but this is directly connected to our mission. So um, this is what we need to zero in right now. Um, that um, is useful. It shows that your analysis and your work is relevant, but it also is good um, to demonstrate to junior folks who may get caught up in the day-to-day minutia of their work that no, you are having an influence. This is exactly why you're in this field, right? And sort of that creates its own sort of positive feedback loop, uh, at least in my opinion. Well, this says, uh, you know, I hope this uh, lands well with folks. Uh, I know this is a, you know, sort of no matter where you sit in the intelligence profession, the struggle uh, never ends. So, um, you know, hopefully it's of some <laughs> use. Uh, and I'm glad you and I have finally got to have this discussion because, I mean, we do, we do, uh, talk pretty frequently, but this is the first time that we've ever actually done even online or off sort of this sort of, um, a deep dive on this specific angle of it. But, uh, you know, I trust that you'll come back. I want to continue. You know, there's an endless sort of, um, uh, number of topics that we can, uh, we can dive on uh, related to this, and uh, I know we still have more to talk about, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I, I appreciate it. Anytime. You have been listening to Covert Contact from Blogs of War. This podcast is produced, written, and hosted by John Little. Follow John on Twitter at Blogs of War and join the conversation with hashtag CCBOW. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.